highest. So hot. Okay, should I record? Hot editing? You're into that shit? I'm pretty into hot. Yeah, it's a fetish. I love like a hot editing session. Turn up the heat. Yeah, make the room 90 and get it to some after it. Before we start, I'm gonna get one more beer. Hold on one sec. Wait, I'm drinking white wine. Like our brands are are strong. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Dumpster Dive the podcast. It's been a little while. Uh, in the interim, I moved to Los Angeles, California, where I'm hosting from. But my intrepid co-host Davey Rubin is still out in Austin, Texas. How are you, Davey? Absolutely wonderful, man. And uh, as a guest this week, we got our man Rod back. How are you, Rod? <laughs> I'm good. Richard Dunn's got some growing up to do. We both know that you're not equipped to deal with the current circumstances, and until you prove otherwise, I feel compelled to be on hand. His only friend lives in his imagination. You didn't um, bring him out here, did you? Of course not. The paper man, or just paper man, uh, which is the story of a washed-up writer, Jeff Daniels, who goes out to Long Island with his wife, Lisa Kudrow, and makes an unlikely friendship with a teenager, Emma Stone. And goddamn do some uncomfortable things ensue. What'd you guys <laughs> think, boys? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'll be honest, I kind of enjoyed it, but it was a really fucking stupid movie. <laughs> <laughs> There's some emotional stuff. I feel like I learned a little bit, but it was a hard watch. Yeah, I definitely the whole time was just thinking, y'all fucked me again with this one. I <laughs> don't even understand how you found it. Like, where did this movie come from? I literally felt like you guys made it up, like filmed it real quick. Like, what is this? I kind of like... A little enjoy- I kind of enjoyed it too. I feel you, Davey. Like it wasn't like the worst viewing experience in my life. It was just such a like I was just like, what are we up to here? Like, what's the plan? It felt like Kirkland, like brand lost in translation. <laughs> like Costco lost in translation. Uh it was it was like it's so weird that it slid under the radar like that because it's a loaded cast. And Sundance films always get this extra, like, shine when they're full of famous right. actors. Yet somehow nobody has ever heard of this movie. Well, so ever. I, I dove we into may- a little bit of research just because I was, again, shocked that, like, just to give a quick rundown, Jeff Daniels, Emma Stone, Ryan Reynolds, Lisa Kudrow, the better Culkin, some say. The better Culkin. <laughs> and Aaron a quick Culkin. cameo from Chris Parnell for SNL fans. That I was know, like I have that written down, yeah. Yeah. And... Silas? Cyrus from Oh yeah, dude. Leeds? Hunter Parrish. <laughs> Hunter Parrish. <laughs> I'm a Parrish head, you bet. <laughs> and uh it was pretty odd that I hadn't heard of it. And then I looked up just some interviews with uh, the wife and husband duo that wrote and direct this film. And Pardon? This was like a dual probably like two <laughs> heads were involved in this project. Oh, this dark marriage flick had two a married couple behind it. And wow. their other writing credit, which every single interview about this movie really was just an interview about the next movie, was they were brought on to write the sequel to Sherlock Holmes. And no. boy oh. did they get that money and never work again. (laughs) You're telling me they went from 
Paper Man to Sherlock Holmes 2? Sherlock Holmes 2 to... <laughs> They have a story by (laughs) credit on the new Power Rangers, and those are the three things on their credits. No, (laughs) They did not have the the script for Power Rangers. They wrote the story to Power Rangers. I don't know what that even means. (laughs) Like, the concept of this Power Rangers movie, which I actually recently saw, like, a moment. Uh, I saw it also. But yes. Is this the American dream? How did they finesse this like <laughs> upward trajectory? I'm I, sorry, I, what? I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea. But they, <laughs> they talk about this movie, like the run-up. You know, it's one of these stories that's supposed to be like the nice story behind an indie flick. And they're like, you know, Ryan Reynolds read the script and he just loved it. And his agent, he hates, <laughs> he hates us. But Ryan that Reynolds really has been on like and riding for it for three years. And I'm like... <laughs> What What? did he see? What did he see in the script? What the fuck? That really speaks to like that's why he's in so many bad movies. Because he (laughs) apparently is the one making the call. (laughs) Like, how do you read this script and say, oh, a movie about a 40-year-old and a 15-year-old who fall in love and both have imaginary best friends and think this is a hit? Like, I'm in. I'm in. (laughs) And Ryan Reynolds rode for three years to get this film made. As the the imaginary friend, <laughs> like that was right. He read the role of right. a, a character named Captain Excellent, who's an imaginary friend. And he said, "I'm gonna make this movie happen." This a, yeah, <laughs> this is a passion project, a labor of love for sure. I will not be the lead, but I love it that much. Like, that's what was happening in his brain. Yeah. I can't. I'm gonna burn the Van Wilder credit on this one. <laughs> right. <laughs> Joey, do you want to give us? Sorry, no. Go ahead, Rod. I was just gonna say this reminded me that like. Ryan Reynolds used to like look really weird. You know what I mean? Like he's like pretty hot now, but like I feel like he was all like used to be like really ugly. How do I prove this? This It's pretty weird looking in this movie, but the bleached blonde hair did not help. It didn't help, but I feel like his eyes are like either really far apart or really close together. Like this is my cereal. I don't know what to do about it, but like he just like I was looking, I was like, I know you were ugly. Like I'm not buying it. Richard, please. You've got a bruise right here. Oh, yeah, well, you know, beaten down by life, you know. Winds of change. Do you want to give us a little story background on this film so that when we talk about all the ridiculous shit that happened, it makes a little sense? Totally. So uh, Jeff Daniels is a once-published novelist with just a really depressed view of life. Uh, He has an invisible friend named Captain Excellent that's played by Ryan Reynolds who just kind of Mm -hmm. uh, builds him up and wears a Superman outfit all the time. And his wife, Lisa Kudrow, who he's going through a rough patch with, is a world-renowned surgeon, and boy, does he hate her for that. (laughs) They go out and rent a home in Long Island, I guess for him to work on his next novel, but he's not that committed to writing. And instead puts together a little ruse, a really fun ruse, and talks <laughs> a high school girl into babysitting for him, even though he doesn't have a child. And that starts a romantic-esque relationship between yeah. him and Emma Stone. This movie is about, like, a girl with no intuitive triggers. Like, you walk <laughs> into a dude's house, he hires you as a babysitter, he admits he does not have kids, and you make him soup. Like... She will get murdered her freshman year of college. I guarantee it. This girl is like a Natalie Holloway 
type of like chica. Like, I don't know. I was like, where's, where's your senses? Like, where are you at? See, what I liked about it is it shows the other side of what happens when you trust a creepy 40-year-old man. Right. In every movie, there's a rape or a murder. Mm-hmm. But this movie showed that it's totally safe to trust creepy 40-year-old men because sometimes they just want to eat soup and hang out. It's true. Davey, it's like- I, you're right. Thank you for challenging me. I agree with that. There is <laughs> another side to the story, as there always is. We've only been telling one side. You're right. You're right. Yeah, I think there's a big moral lesson here for all the teenage girls out there. This yeah, one hundred percent. Definitely paid for by big pedophile, you know. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's like a Nambla, Nambla produced feature film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We need a movie that Jeff shows Daniels. the other side. So I, I was saying, telling Davey before we start recording, how much I hate Jeff Daniels, and I think it's just like newsroom runoff. Like he is the most just terrible, like demeaning, just annoying character in that and Davey goes oh see I disagree I love Jeff Daniels he was so great in Dumb and Dumber and yeah I dude was... I, that was what I was gonna say <laughs> I don't think anyone has ever played a character less like every other character they've played that has so much like like career resonance like Jeff Daniels right. is always the highfalutin asshole, but he played one great character, and it is just... Right, well, like, you've never seen I mean, someone go against sequel. type. And the like, Dumb and right. Dumber sequel, Dumb and Dumber is 2. He, is think. he in it? Dumb and Dumberer, actually, which is a real, really well, close so off. There was, there was Dumb and Dumberer, which I think was about them when they were younger, and he's not in that. But then they made a Dumb and Dumber 2, T-O-O, and Wait, he's in that. How did I miss that? Really? When yeah, did this come out? It's more of like it's actually kind of funny. the Furious, kind of funny. Tokyo Drift, where they kind of tried to reboot it. Yeah. Realized like, no, we need to get Jeff Daniels back if we can get him. Right. And he was right. available because of Paper Man. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely call Dumb and Dumberer the Tokyo Drift of the Dumb and Dumber franchise. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, I agree. 100%. So should we just get right to the creepy soup scenes? I don't think anything before that was really. Yeah, this, this movie's about Not much soup. happens in this movie. Yeah, yeah, it's mostly soup. Like, I'm going to be real. This movie's about soup. Well, yeah, so uh, Jeff Daniels asks for a babysitter to come when his wife's out of town. Uh, Emma Stone shows up. He pretends to be going out after she decides to stay, even though there's no baby. He fake goes out for three hours to talk to his invisible friend. And when he comes home, Emma Stone has made soup. <laughs> and if you thought, oh, that, that's fun, a little throwaway soup scene, nope. This is a motif throughout the film. <laughs> <laughs> the mise-en-scene of this movie is quite literally soup. Like, you're not wrong. The soup is what brings it all together. Yeah, what do you think the, the theme, because it wasn't really uh, laid out for me in the scene, what do you think soup was supposed to mean, guys, in this film? <laughs> so glad you asked. Um, yeah, you know, I mean... Um, yeah, Davey, you want to just you want to just <laughs> go into it? I think you're. I think we both have ideas, but I'm gonna let you start. Well, I'd say that uh, it's really a metaphor for finding a way to be creative with the things around you. Mm-hmm. You know, and Jeff Daniels was struggling so much with a typewriter and a beautiful house and nature. Get Emma Stone, this unassuming teenager who's just you know kind of a depressed skank. Yeah. Just throw together soup, no problem. She always knew what to do with her hands. Yeah, but yeah, he yes, can we quickly shout out that ongoing line? I like I don't know what to do with my hands. 
that really is like the backbone of Jeff Daniels' character problem throughout this movie. He just every time he creeps out Emma Stone, every time he can't write, it's because he just doesn't know what to do with his hands and he's touching the wrong things. Also, when, Dude. when he tries to be cool around high schoolers, one of his big issues is he does weird the things hand. with his hands. The hand move. Yeah, dude, 100. Tell me why the first and main note I wrote down was what is Richard working through? Like, what is his drama? Like, what is the trauma? Like, couldn't tell you. You're right. It's his hands. Like, he doesn't know quite literally what to do with his hands. And it's Makes funny because... Yeah, you come into this movie thinking, like, clearly he has a weird thing that's going on. He must have mental issues, and Lisa Kudrow is trying to figure out how to deal with him. But it seems like, actually, it, it's a recent problem that he's no longer funny. Like, she says that he's always right. been this funny guy. Yet he is just clearly mentally ill. I mean, right. To, to a very serious degree. And yeah. somehow she's just noticing this. Well, also, yes. the, there's the hilarious thing where... I mean, based on, I watched the film and I'm like, oh, this is someone who should be in prison. Uh, they're definitely mentally ill. If not prison, they should be like institutionalized and are just terrible to their wife. Not very redeeming, not that fun. And at the end with like a single line, Lisa Kudrow is like, oh yeah, charm me again. I'll take you back. You know, like, <laughs> right. like we have missed just I think there was a franchise before this movie where we saw the charming Jeff Daniels because it does not make sense with how he... I think so, too. I think there was, like, a prequel, like, Paperer Manor or whatever, and it's, like, all about their college years where he was, like, I don't know, like, a stand-up or, like, a riot or whatever. (laughs) She was so poorly written. You guys, like, I was so frustrated. They just made her into this, like, shrew. Or maybe Lisa made bad acting choices, but I just felt, like... Even if this dude is awful, which he is, I was like, where, like, who is this woman? Like, where is she? Like, what is she, like, where is she at? Like, I didn't really believe that she was supportive. I didn't believe she hated him. I just felt like she was, like, a ghost, which, like, it was proved so to be, emotionless. Like, yeah. Yeah, so emotionless. I think it was intentional, actually, because there's that moment where he asks her, like, are we going through a trial separation? And we don't know, and he doesn't know. And then she's like, no, no, that's that's not what's happening. And he's like, okay, is it actually what's happening? And she's like, no. She's no. like, you'd know. You'd know. Well, yeah, let me tell you, I was really hanging on her words there because I had no idea if they were going through a separation or not. I couldn't figure out why they were yeah. in Long Island the whole time. They were you out bet. there and she was driving back every day. Yeah, the script is, like, filled with charming banter, and my ass is literally, like, leaning in, hoping for, like, real information. (laughs) I was like, I know this must be, like, a cute little, like, I don't even know, like, Aaron Sorkin light-ass, like, banter back and forth. But for me, it's like I'm begging for scraps. Like, are you divorced? Like, And I also, like, for a good 35 40% of the movie, thought they had a kid who died. (laughs) That's what I thought. Did anyone else think that? (laughs) Well, I just didn't know the history. And then they, like, tried to throw a twist on it, and it wasn't even a real twist because nobody even knew what the hell was going on in the first place. Are you talking about the the Better Culkin twist? Well, no. He keeps saying... That was a real twist. That was a real... He keeps saying... um, He keeps saying she didn't want to have a kid. She's the reason we didn't have a kid. And he tells Emma Stone that, and then he Mm. brings it up in front of the friends. Mm. And then the last second she goes... You're saying all the shit when you're the one who didn't want to have a kid. And right. he goes, I know. 
Right. And that's all we get. That's all we get. Yeah. We the usual suspect, this is it. not. But that was, you're right. That is kind of a twist. I didn't even like think about <laughs> I'll take a whatever this movie wants to give. Legitimately <laughs> doesn't make sense. I was out here fucking like beautiful minding my notepad, trying to understand like yeah. who people are and where they're going and what's going yeah, on. Yeah, dude. My window is filled with the words Jeff Daniels and 83,000 question marks. Like, I can't see past the glass. <laughs> okay, would you rather? I don't know. Oh, come on. Would you rather have no TV for a year or only be able to watch the Golf Channel? Golf Channel. Yeah, me too. At least it's TV. Wait, did you guys not expect the Culkin to be her imaginary friend? No. Did you see that coming? Let's get into it. Let's like let's yeah, say that, so, that's the big twist. Which I you really saw that coming? I'm super impressed. Yeah. So just to set it up for for all the fans of the show, uh, we knew right away that Ryan Reynolds was like an imaginary best friend, primarily just because of his outfit. Yeah. But it, it also gets cool. brought up really quickly, and we know Lisa Kudrow can't see him. But the first time we run into Kieran Culkin, Emma Stone's boyfriend, who's my favorite character in the movie, oh, he's great. walks up yeah. to her, grabs her face, makes out with her, turns around, hawks a loogie on the floor and leaves. And then Kieran Culkin snuggles up next to her and is like, I love you. And she's like, <laughs> you could drop dead. And, uh, or no, he's like, you could be a cheerleader. And she's like, you could drop dead. Uh, and we're supposed to just think like he's the nerdy side friend, but he's eventually like the, ducky, like the ducky or something. Yeah. But then at the end, there's kind of like this punch in the gut twist that he's her imaginary best friend. But I thought it was pretty clear from the second time we saw him, which is she's hanging out at Jeff Daniels house. Nobody knows where it is. And randomly Karen Culkin appears. I thought that was because, like, he was frightened for her and following her around, and she was in a fucking stranger's home. <laughs> like, I, was, me, I, I wanted to follow her around. I was trying to call the cops from L.A. Yeah, dude, to get her I somewhere was, like, there. on her trail. <laughs> yeah, I just thought that was another example of, like, her not being weirded out by anyone in her life. Like, I literally thought he just followed her and was, like, watching her through the window and then I also thought, like, I thought so many, I didn't even know, like, what to think of him, but I definitely thought he was, like, just obsessive and was inevitably, I had so many fake endings in mind that he was going to kill Jeff Daniels. I was, like, on another, another at, plane. At what point in the film did you guys realize he was imaginary? Quite literally when they told us he was imaginary. Yeah, when he talks to <laughs> Ryan Reynolds, I think is when it clicked for me. When they shake hands. When they didn't shake even hands. Me. <laughs> <laughs> am I an idiot? Like, am I like high? What I thought that moment was was that he's delving into psychosis, and this movie is like trying to like absurdly kind of create this thing where like this imaginary character is like it's viewable by crazy people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that he's sort of accessing. I didn't know until we see. Well, was he an imaginary character? Or was he somebody who had killed themselves? I think that he took the place of the sister who had died. So, right. Right. so Emma Stone's big character background, who she also has this weird twist at some point in her story. We find out her story is a lie, but it doesn't matter. She tells a story about her 
daring her twin sister to try and swim in the ocean with all her clothes. Twin sister dies. She feels guilty. Mm-hmm. That's a fine enough depressing story. But let's then, make it more depressing. Let's just, yeah, like, and then they like stuff. they kick us with like a hot twist later that they actually made a pact that they were going to kill themselves. <laughs> and midway through, she swam back, and her twin sister kept swimming. It's like oh, I missed that. Jesus Christ! It's like you missed that. that? <laughs> it's like that doesn't make it any different to me. That twist is unnecessary. Yeah, like she's dead, right? Like yeah. unless she's gonna turn out to be Lisa Kudrow, like anyway, <laughs> can we like move on? Like what's happening? But I'm pretty sure after that she goes to the insane asi- asylum, asylum because they bring it up a few times, right? And uh, and I think the reason she was there was because she had made up an imaginary friend to replace her sister, and that mm. was curious. Okay. Davey is a paperhead. Yeah. He's like a huge paper core. He loves it. Yeah, I rewatched it a couple times, guys. I can tell. <laughs> the so listeners after- can't see it, but there's a Paperman poster behind Davey, which is <laughs> the Amazon one day. No, that's just a Ryan Reynolds poster that I've always. Oh had. yeah, you're right. My beat, my beat. <laughs> so yeah, right after Emma Stone tells him the twin story, which I clearly only got half of. I heard that her twin accidentally wore her clothes in and, and drowned because of that. <laughs> I was not paying great <laughs> attention, I guess. But Yeah, I was like, was it a denim onesie? Like, what absorbed that much? It really water? doesn't matter the reason that her twin died. Like, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, the fact that she's dead. I right? feel bad, I guess. It's fine. Uh, right. And afterwards, Jeff Daniels turns to Ryan Reynolds and goes, I don't have much of a story. And I literally <laughs> was sure. like, yes. Correct. This is a script note that you should have taken. <laughs> Maybe this guy shouldn't fucking be the anchor of your film. This is insane. Yeah, dude. I think they accidentally integrated like a producer's note in the margins, like into the script. I think that was like the producer being like, I'm not following the story. And they're like, yeah, you're right. Good line of dialogue for sure. Like, that's not what I meant. But yeah, well, sure. and they, what made me so mad about it is okay, first off, first rule you can't make a film about a writer. I don't want to see that. Agreed. Shit. Agreed. <laughs> There's two things movies can never do: depict the art world and depict writing. Ever. It's like <laughs> you never can do it. This dude is like a obscure, unknown novelist who's writing what's clearly a bad book about a a hen. Like, <laughs> like, why do I want to know his life? Then they. And also, was his first book good? No, they say he, it didn't sell at all. <laughs> and only, only, only Emma Stone has read it and likes it. She's even only, he, even he, she didn't even like, but even she didn't like it, right? She said she found it to be very interesting. Which is like, <laughs> which right. is like, uh, yeah, it's like someone who's like pretty. Hmm, yeah, <laughs> but is you actually, really, like, you hideous. really yeah. wrote that. You got through those pages. <laughs> yeah, it was a book for sure. <laughs> it was a hundred percent a book. Yeah, it was definitely binded. And it was, yeah, and it was hardback. You could make a couch out of it if you yeah. wanted. Uh. Yeah, definitely. I put a cup on it, and it was definitely, the cup was upright. <laughs> Book-esque. But yeah, part of the issue with the novelist as character is then you know you're going to be leaning on this stupid-ass convention where they read their book out loud. Like, you know that's coming. They're going to read a book out loud. And not only did this movie need to deal with that to get to the core of his character... They also had to use two invisible friends. So two people talking to themselves, <laughs> one person reading aloud, and I still have no idea what makes this ter- character pick. <laughs> this movie was pretty much like 80 people talking directly to me, and I could not tell you the plot. 
<laughs> I thought what was weird is this movie, it's like they had two different ideas. They had a story they wanted to write that was a bad story. And then they had like a trippy idea that was to have your two main characters each have imaginary characters. Right. Right. And it it ended up that just the story didn't matter and the characters really didn't matter at all. And if you're going to have two right. imaginary characters, have them hook up, please. Yeah, Agreed. Yeah, have that would have been a weird scene. <laughs> come on. Yeah, come on. I want, like, I'm not even kidding, like, raw, gnarly, like, heinous anal sex between Ryan Reynolds <laughs> and and Culkin, and I want Ryan Reynolds to be the bottom because I, was say I the same thing. yeah yeah let's switch like come on like why not I'm over it let's win and this Sundance is also... here let's <laughs> win fucking Sundance yeah give me that Miramax shit give me it's something all about gnarly full penetration full penetration yeah, I want a shot of just like like the two inches between shaft and pelvis just like inching their way into Culkin ass crack I'll say it we're all thinking it it's on my window beautiful mind style <laughs> oh my god. This is also the third time Ryle Reynolds has played like a quote unquote superhero. He's like obsessed. Yeah. We've yeah. done two of them. We've done two of them. We've done Green Lantern hard. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, Wait, what's this? Yeah, we've done two. You got to hit up Deadpool, but people like that one. Not quite a dumpster dive. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like Deadpool. I like Deadpool. I've heard it's great. Uh, but yeah, so, so Kieran Culkin, maybe the most mysterious character of the movie. And yeah. which you can tell because he has a black hoodie. <laughs> Yeah, and he's kind of like he's kind of a bummer the whole time, you know. Mm-hmm. Just so hot. But probably like the most striking scene of the whole movie is when Kieran Culkin kind of makes his descent, and uh, it's just <laughs> tell movie... me more about this. What's his descent? Yeah. Well, the movie. I mean, it seems into like... Ryan Reynolds's um, deep crevice because that was actually a <laughs> fantasy, <not> a real <laughs> scene. It just really played it out with detail. Well, it's weird. Like, the movie kind of comes to an end, right? And, like, we think that the movie's basically over. And we have Emma Stone walk into her bedroom, and Kieran Culkin has hung himself. Mm. Yeah. And he, there's just a dead body swinging in the middle of the bedroom. And it's like, at this point, we know he's imaginary. <laughs> it's, it doesn't mean it's hard, but it is still a grotesque image to throw at us without earning it at all. <laughs> yeah, and girl, I can't stress enough. I did not know he was imaginary until I saw him swing it. Like I'm embarrassed, but I'll say it. Like I need. I really had no idea. <laughs> I feel like I think- also they threw that scene in. It was not explained. It wasn't really that important for the plot. And they threw that fucker in just because they've dreamed about shooting someone hanging and their face in both in the mirrors. mirrors. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. 100%. I feel like this script was born out of that image and they worked backwards. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, they got a note halfway through production like, it's pretty fucking dark to already have this 15-year-old fall in love with a 40-year-old man. You're going to really kill her best friend? He's going <laughs> to commit suicide? And like, oh, we'll make him imaginary. It'll be fine. Yeah. Don't worry. It's not real. It's not real. It's not real. You know what I thought was going to happen at the end of this movie? And it really blew up in my face was that they were going to end up adopting Emma Stone. Because she was this like. 17. She's like this 17 year old whose parents don't. She doesn't have parents anymore yep. for whatever reason. I guess they don't trust her anymore. Yeah, where are they? Seriously, and they're parents. <laughs> where does she live? Pretty unclear. Does she live somewhere? She's a, Quite literally, what's her name? She has a, a gorgeous room that 
Kieran Culkin yeah. killed himself in. Yeah. Hell yeah. Vaulted <laughs> ceilings. I'm here for it. Yellow walls. I'm into a custard moment. But what is her name? What is her character's name? Yeah. Mm. We net. We like don't get it. You. Like, no, she I've says. Never... She says it one. Like the second time she comes to babysit, when he opens the door, she says it. Oh, she does. Maybe yeah, what it is. It's like right. Amy or something like that. Emma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe Emma. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did you guys so you're saying you thought they were gonna adopt her? Did you really read this as not romantic <laughs> until he made the excuse to his wife? I read the entire film it was reading that they were gonna hook up. And then uh, I heard she was 17 and I was incredibly uncomfortable because she kept being like at school, at school, and I'm like, I'm we haven't met her parents. Maybe she's in college and it's still kind of weird, but it's like And he's hitting on like two fifteen year olds during that party scene, which is a weird beer? type of telegraphing, yeah. giving a beer, like yeah. yo, this dude's like an absolute predator unless Long Island is like real chill or something. <laughs> so, yeah. You guys, I kind of bought the Jeff Daniels just wanting to be friends with Emma Stone thing. In all seriousness. I didn't no, I think did that, I didn't think they were gonna hook up ever. I mean and like so I thought, you know, it's a possibility that they just get so close. And at the end, when Lisa Kudrow finds out about her, the only way they can remain friends is for him to adopt her. What? And then she has the scene where she's like, if he was my weird father, I'd be totally stoked. Oh, did I miss something in that scene? How did Lisa, was Lisa Kudrow looking for her? Or did she was just happen? She was just, just hacking parked. stoves in town. Yeah, she was just parked for sure. Had down like two cheeseburgers, like <laughs> having a moment, couple nugs deep. I don't know, like 100% parked in Long. She's like, I'm going home. Doesn't know where home is because her character barely exists. Parked in Long Island, <laughs> like a street corner. Like who knows? Are we supposed? No, I agree, Davy. To... I. Oh, sorry. 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 Well, I was going to say like when I like was joking earlier about this being like the poor man's lost in translation. I was really like applying that movie's sort of like framework of these this sort of like weird yes parental daughter relationship yes somewhat sexual just by virtue of the fact that they're both heterosexual like humans but but i really didn't think the movie would go there and i kind of wish it didn't like that kiss wasn't even really so they do kiss for the listeners and non-paperheads at home they do kiss and it's like the worst, like one of the worst kisses I've seen on screen, personally <laughs> speaking. And the movie just didn't need to go there. I don't know. I just thought no. it was so, so bizarre. It really didn't. I mean, they could have had, instead of them kissing, or instead of Lisa Kudrow finding them sleeping together on the couch, him and Lisa could have just sort of figured things out, and he could have mm-hmm. found Emma Stone and been like, hey, I really like you, but we can't hang out anymore. Mm-hmm. Same result. Yeah, but I want to give you this. Hands over a manila envelope of adoption papers. <laughs> my, kind, yeah. my kind of movie. You've been served with adoption served. papers. Yeah, with parents. <laughs> Where was Emma Stone in her career? What year are we? Like, was, who was she? Was she in her bit? Was she in Superbad already? Or? I think Superbad had already happened. Superbad I'm just, happened. I'm just guessing. I actually don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Because it's not when the movie was released. This movie reeks of the type of film that's, like, filmed and shelved for a really long time and then released. Yeah. So I'm almost wondering if this was, like... Because Emma Stone is great in it. I'm, like, a pretty big Emma, Emma Stone fan. Like, I think she's really... She has, like, a bag of tricks that she, like, dips into, but I think she's, like, really good. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan, yeah. I think I'm she's a huge awesome. fan. Yeah, she's always charming. She's always just, like... Yeah, I think she has a really good way of being natural and totally still being an actress. You know what I mean? Like, 
Her mannerisms yeah. are so performed and so acted, and she's making choices constantly. But those choices feel about as natural as an actor who's not practicing like the method can get yeah. in 2017. And she's like pretty unique looking and not like really conventionally hot, but yeah, it's so attractive, which is pretty cool. Totally. It's because that voice and her personality, like real, yeah, like actually not Hollywood thing. Cool. And she it's, seems cool. And in that, I mean, the fact that none of these other characters have any backstory, she has, we literally don't know her name. And she's pretty <laughs> believable in it. You know, like Abby. <laughs> I want to say it's Abby. Ooh. Abby? Like yeah. That. Abby Stone. Abby Stone. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but she she is completely believable, and you're right. It's because she has kind of like the, kind of the, uh, fuck superstar rather mm-hmm. than actor thing where it's like, yeah. Emma Stone is always Emma Stone in a movie, but it's yeah, like you could fit that character into a lot of movies. And totally, it's like she's gonna like disappear into it. She's gonna be Emma Stone, but it's like a totally pliable, great character that you could use. Agreed. Yep. That's sort of like why I reject is like a total tangent, but like in terms of her contemporaries, like Jennifer Lawrence being the like the Julia Roberts to these other oh, other yeah. like bitches like exactly Sandra Bullock. Yeah, right. I mean it's tough, but like that she is somebody who like you know, she has such a thing, like Jennifer Lawrence has such a thing, and yet she never brings that into her roles like there's never a moment in which her like one of the boys like cool like normal girl shit like ever comes into a role we're just told she's a movie star because she has this persona yet she never plays a version of herself she's always played someone who looks like they're eternally 23 and is like married with two kids in every david or russell movie which i don't (laughs) understand yeah but emma stone always does feel sort of like a version of herself or rather that she sort of would be these things she makes she makes roles fit with her personality, whereas Jennifer Lawrence, I feel like, is has a cool personality, but tries to get very outside of herself for roles. Yes, yes, which yes. is like, it's it's just two different kinds of acting. But I agree with you; it makes Emma Stone way more just like charming because Agreed. you feel like you get to know her every time you watch her. And she's which to me is a sign of a movie star. Yeah, that's the movie star. You know, it's like yeah. fucking no one's gonna ask Tom Cruise to play to disappear into a thing. You know, he's not a character actor, but he's a totally. And you could use Emma Stone. I don't think Emma Stone is ever going to be like, who? Oh, it's like an hour into this movie. Who was that playing that character? Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. That was Emma Stone. Yeah, totally. There's no moment where it's like, you're kidding. (laughs) Like there's no nutty to the clumps moment happening with (laughs) with Emma Stone. The wood watch. Yeah. Eddie Murphy is, one of our great method actors. They had to film each clump character separately because you had to get disappear into the character for months. <laughs> Yo, I've <laughs> said for days now that one of my biggest Oscar snubs that makes me angry is Eddie Murphy in The First Nutty Professor. That's a perfect performance. And the Oscars don't value comedic awesome acting. Fucking, yeah, it was such a good movie. It's so I, great. It's perfect. I'm assuming you're being serious because I am being I, very sincere. Yeah. I went back and watched it, and it is so funny. Yeah, it's incredibly well written, and the acting is really good. And if like the Academy gave a shit about performances that aren't people with like dying of like AIDS or some shit, like that's a perfect performance in every way. He's playing two people in a movie, and then like at one point he's playing the family in like a quick scene, and it's like also perfect. <laughs> perfect comedy. And Chappelle is in it, and it's like the first time you ever really see Dave Chappelle. You're right. Yeah, Chappelle had a lot of these weird small roles. He's 
He's in You've Got Mail. He has a lot of weird little Blue Streak. Blue, Blue Streak, Streak is the driver. Baby, freaking out. Blue Streak. I'm calling the cops. <laughs> Richard regarded his solitude as something sacred, as a well-earned badge of honor, a cloak to be worn to ward off life as his safety. Solitude is who he was. This caused those in his life to view him with a barely veiled contempt. Richard was certain that he was not liked, which is hard on a man. Maybe it was because he gave nothing that he received nothing in return. In any case, his situation had become intolerable. Have you guys watched the newsroom at all? Oh yeah, I watched it all the way through. Yeah, no. so I think, uh, if rather than this novelist, I would much rather see a movie about the guy who does the Will McAvoy Twitter account. Have you seen this, Rod? <laughs> no, what is it? Oh, is it a fake Twitter as Will Will McAvoy? Will McAvoy, and he's just he got very involved in the election, but he also no. uh, continues to just he just is like a virtue bat signal that just as Will McAvoy just like mansplains <laughs> politics and is. <laughs> Fully, like, not, like, like he's not, like, playing a character. He just is that, well, like, he's, like, this is the character I most connect with. And now I need <laughs> yes. to tell the world about politics through I need to Jeff read Daniels that Twitter thing. account. It will Dude, that character, that character on the newsroom is, like, the best portrayal of modern liberals ever. Because it's so annoying. It's so frustrating. <laughs> it has no real access into, like, real-world, like, intentions or ideas or problems. It's just speaking from a podium. And that's, like, the entire reason the left lost that election. I, know, I was going to say, that you know? is why Trump won. Will McAvoy yeah, is yeah. why Trump won. Yeah. He is. He's sort of, like, the right's best example of what makes the left so insufferable. <laughs> it's amazing. I have to read that Twitter account. That's it'll, brilliant. It'll change your life. So... <laughs> Did J Jeff Daniels' performance as Will McAvoy forever ruin Jeff Daniels for you? Is that like, yeah, is that I think so. a thing? Wow. I think that's so. Rough. I was watching this and I was just uh, like, I hate you. And I, do, I like, uh, don't know if it was earned. Or, I mean, I, he's a pretty unlikable character, but I was just right, so right. out right away. Oh, it's too it's bad, just, Joe. He's got a yeah. great future. Even in the operation scene, when he was being charming with his wife, sucking at operation, I was saying, nope. Not buying it. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that he was charming at any point in this whole movie. Yeah, that was like the nicest thing Joey's ever said in his life. Like, you know you hated him in every scene, and I did too. Safe space. Insufferable. I don't, like, I don't think I'm going to lose a lot, though. I really don't think my inability to like Jeff Daniels is going to affect me in any way. I'm looking just yeah. a quick scan through the IMDb, and his side character in The Martian, I could have done without. Could have done without. He's pretty good in the Steve Jobs movie. That's but thinking, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but that's also Aaron Sorkin, so he is still like a conduit for that, I think that kind of I speech. literally picture Aaron Sorkin as Jeff Daniels, too. I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong in doing that. <laughs> I want to check this out. Could Aaron Sorkin ever complete the loop and write an Aaron Sorkin biopic about himself with Jeff Daniels <laughs> playing him where he reads in like does his own monologues of both parts into like a typewriter? Jesus, that was like a Synecdoche, New York ass like crazy multi dog. You crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That was a mind blower. That's like the last thing. I feel like when Aaron Sorkin like 
finishes that script, he will like look up into the sky and be like, I am done, and will like disappear. The closest things he had to friends were either imaginary or extinct. Richard had reached a point in his life where this was no longer enough. And then he met a girl, and she was warm, and she was sad, and she was maybe lonely in a way that reminded him of himself. She'd lost things that a girl should never have lost. And she knew things. And she taught him. Did you ever see the end of the tour? This, like, David Foster Wallace, yeah. like, semi-biopic? It's not a bad movie. I mean, it's sort of like, there's no moment where there's, like, a typewriter scene happening, but it is about writers. It's, like, a pretty okay one. But overall, it's sort of, like, a really small ratio, and I that think. And was, that was more like the almost famous thing, where it's, like, that was a movie about reporting more mm -hmm. than about writing, which is, at least there's, like, yeah. some action to it. Like, writing your own fucking novel about yeah. right. ends is a really tough <laughs> Right. To writing the next bestseller about oh. ends is also the first bestseller <laughs> about ends. That fucking scene in the bar where he's telling everybody his story, oh and they're all, like, so captivated by the story and just surrounding him, like, are you hearing a different story than we are? Because this yeah. is so dumb. Or is Long Island just, like, the worst? Like, this <laughs> is seriously, like, a rad bar conversation in Long Island. I'm never going. I I'm would love it if it ended with just, like, some dude being like, hey, who, shut the fuck up, and, like, punch him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> who is this fucking kid? <laughs> it's Aaron Sorkin's cameo. <laughs> <laughs> He's in every Jeff Daniels movie, like Hitchcock, in the background, if you look closely. <laughs> All right, boys. <Yeah. laughs> well, Rod, thanks for joining us, as always. Y'all, thanks for fucking me again with another absolute piece of garbage, but I yeah. couldn't have asked for a better way to spend two hours in the last 50 minutes. <laughs> for, for, now, tight. for now on, we're just going to start pretending to do these pods and not even record. <laughs> yeah, you're just going to make me watch these movies. you need to watch, Rod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, so this, like, remake of Selena by, like, three people in Washington Heights was not that great. Where did you find it, and why did I watch it? We're doing three pods a week from now on, so get ready. It's yeah. part of the canon. The canon. Yeah. yeah, like, heard of it? Like, wow, another John Leguizamo flick? Y'all are really on one. Okay, for sure. Holly Shore was supposed to star in this film. Yeah, like, oh. really? <laughs> <laughs> shares a Google Doc with a fake script. Like they should have had Polly Shore play Ryan Reynolds' character in this movie. Could have brought. Would not. Would not hate. No, it'd be awesome. It would be pretty good. Yeah, they would have had um, a lot more chemistry him and Culkin in that sex scene. But, oh, uh, <laughs> I just want every version of that sex scene, and I want Kieran to be the top in all scenes. You heard it here first, bitch. I also really want to see the Paperboys. <laughs>